0: Hey everybody, we are Martin, Robert, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head, rent free. Hey everybody, welcome back to Snakes and Otters. I am Martin. I'm Robert.
1: And I'm Francis.
0: Today is episode 57 pop culture episode, and we are talking Westerns, a truly American art form. So, we're going to talk about the Western as a, to me it's it's the American epic story. Um, you know, you can do Roman epic movies and shows, you can do... Uh, European history epics, and, and, you know, America doesn't have a very long history, but this is our history epic, the Western. So, guys, I'm going to throw a few of my favorites, or our favorites, out, the movies, the shows, and some of the stars and and the drivers, and just kick us off with a little bit of that, and let you all kind of take off with it, all right? Sure. So... We're coming up, of course, listeners, we're also coming off last week our John Wayne episode. So, uh, of course, I want to start with one of his. El Dorado, my favorite. Uh, Jimmy Kahn, uh, Robert Mitchum. Um, then The Shootist, love The Shootist, uh, John Wayne's final film.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The Outlaw, Josie Wales, a Clint Eastwood.
1: Clint Eastwood considered uh, it his greatest role as a as
0: an awesome film. Yeah. Uh, I like to say that I believe in the Josie Wales Ten Bears School of Diplomacy uh, <laughs> from the
1: great oh. meeting scene. Oh, absolutely! It's fantastic. Nothing happens except a lot of badassery in dialogue. I mean, it's so yeah. amazingly well written. Yeah, uh, it's, it's uh, I'm not promising
0: you nothing extra. I'm saying we can live together without killing each other.
1: That's right. And that's a that's. I I mean, we, could, we could probably quote the whole scene boys and girls but we're not <laughs> going to do that even though we are sorely tempted to because it is one of those yes. great moments
0: yes yeah I love I love Josie Wales and Ten, ten Bears uh, of course all three of the Clean Eastwood Spaghetti Westerns Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More and uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly um, Chisholm, Big Jake, and The Magnificent Seven love okay. that one yes um, Will Penny, a Chuck Heston yes.
1: Western. Uh, not a big action movie, but a great story. Yeah, he said it was one of his favorite movies. Charlton Heston did. Uh, it, it's a well. It's a. It's a great movie. It, it's. You're right. It's. It's slower. People that are action oriented are, are going to necessarily think, "What is this?" But it's still a great movie. And it is.
0: it's a, that, a good one. Kind of a, a real human story. A a. a Personalized kind of Western story. Yeah. Um, Major Dundee, another Chuck. Mm-hmm. And, and then a little later, some of the, you know, Tombstone, of course, is one of those movies all three of us uh, quote and love. Oh, absolutely. Um, every time we play cards, we have to go five
1: hundred. Must be a peach of a hand. Oh Which yeah. That movie's been quoted a thousand million times. <laughs>
0: Uh, uh, people we well, play, play, play cards with well, can we, punch punch well, I
2: mean, we can keep <laughs> To be fair, is Val Kilmer in that Doc Holiday? We're quoting more so than anything else.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is yeah. This is true. I don't know. You tell him I'm coming cool. by Kurt Russell. It's pretty good stuff. That's right. That's true. That is
2: one of my all-time favorite movie quotes. You tell him I'm coming, and hell's coming. Hell's coming
1: with me. me. That's right.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, and in uh, of course
0: Silverado. We love Silverado. It's, it's a little Dude, bit different. Dude, you're taking all a, my movies. <laughs>
2: not a gritty one.
0: Not a gritty one, but
2: uh, fine. Just fine. All the it way also through. Proved, Kevin Costner in that movie is
1: phenomenal. Yeah, he it really proved did. that westerns could be done at a time where they didn't think they would ever make any. And they made this when it came out of nowhere. They said, wow, this was a good movie and it did well. And it's yeah. a western? And yeah, a lot of people who it. were
2: moderately famous uh, yeah. You know, super superstars, but names, uh, and mm-hmm. some that were on their way to become names. Yeah. And Danny really Glover's
0: good. performance was terrific in that one. Yep. Um, Patricia Arquette it, is in that. Yeah, and uh, we just lost Brian Dennehy. Oh, that's he Was right.
1: so oh, great as Cobb. Yes, he was very. So good. great as Cobb.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we talked about those movies, and and you guys had a bunch of the shows, too. Uh, Of course, talk about Lonesome Dove. I know Francis loves Lonesome Dove.
1: Oh, yeah. To me, I consider that to be uh, the the greatest western ever done, and it's been said by many, it was originally written to be a John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, and Henry Fonda vehicle by Larry McMurtry. It was a screenplay, and uh, the other two guys were on, but Wayne passed, because it was meant to be like McMurtry calls it, it's meant to be the bringing down the curtain on the Western story in the early 70s. It's one of the reasons Wayne passed on it. He didn't think it was Mm -hmm. over yet, and he's probably right. But he made the right decision because, A, McMurtry turns it into a novel, wins the Pulitzer Prize. It's still one of the greatest journey stories you'll ever have. And I can tell you for a fact, it is a metaphor for the New Testament, boys and girls. Uh, Augustus McCray is the Christ figure. Uh, Woodrow Call is the Saint Peter figure. Uh, Jake Spoon is the Judas figure. I can go. Uh, uh, I can go on and on on this. But nevertheless, it is a fantastically human story. And I think in, in, in its core, that's so much why westerns we like them so much. It's not just that they're American stories. They are that. But there has to be more to it than that. And I think you're easy. This is not the story of kings and cardinals, as they say. This is a story mm-hmm. of ordinary folks doing ordinary things extraordinarily. Uh, and that resonates with people. It always yeah. has.
0: Yeah. And that's a key part of them is it's a frontier thing. It's mm-hmm. it's people making a life uh, out of a
1: place that's pretty tough to make one in. So that it is very the different from along frame. the way. because yeah. it's very yeah. it's very white hat black hat most of the time. It's very hero versus villain. Uh, it's uh, animal man versus civilized man in many ways, and that's a story we can always get behind. We we love you know we Americans really love justice. We love to see justice done, and most westerns have that as some form of meta theme for them. Every once yeah. in a while it's subverted, but as a general rule we kind of come back to that a lot. Uh, Unforgiven is one that subverts that. Uh, but most of the others stay with it.
2: Really? I don't think so, because I think that's the whole point of the movie, is justice.
1: It is, but how it... Uh, in, in the search for justice, Bonnie is corrupted. He is brought back to his evil ways in order to seek justice. That's why mm-hmm. I say it was a subversion. Whereas Pale Rider, which was Eastwood's uh, Western just before that, is the straight justice story. You know, Supposedly the gunfighter, who may or may not be a ghost you know, a theme that Eastwood had done before, uh, comes back to wipe out the injustice, you know, literally in this case, uh, which is very similar to uh, Martin, one of your favorite movies of his, ours mm-hmm. too, High Plains Drifter. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic yeah. movie. Yeah, I want to one talk very, about High Plains Drifter
0: So, some of the other big stars of Westerns uh, that i uh, really love to watch act, Eli Wallach played hmm. Tuco in Good to Ban the Ugly and Cavada. Did another
1: movie. That was enough. It was amazing. Oh, he was awesome. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. He had he had to you, shoot, shoot. Don't talk.
1: That's right. <laughs> it's an, it's an ama- he, he had an amazing career, not just that movie, yeah. but that's the one we see, tend to remember him the most for. Yeah, he's so so awesome the role in of Tuco.
0: And so great as Cavada in The Magnificent Seven. You know, you came back, a man like you for a place like this. Just great, great lines, great delivery. Um, you know, we already talked about Chuck, uh, Steve McQueen. Love Steve McQueen in, in westerns. Yep. Uh, of course, the two two giant figures of westerns are the Duke and Cleanies Wood. Right. Um, you know, but directors: Sam Peckinpah, John Ford, Howard Hawks.
1: Oh my goodness, John um, Ford. We could do a whole episode on him because he did so so much of the western genre we owe to him because he did it well uh, he told mm-hmm. those stories well I mean he knew, he knew the right actors don't get me wrong but uh, it was more than that uh, and in the film genre uh, you got to get that right and it wasn't just the writing it was the directing uh, mm-hmm. Ford deserves a lot of credit for that
2: yeah, he he is certainly one of the he's probably the giant of the western directors. Howard Hawks is known for a lot of other things besides his westerns, but right. uh, John Ford that's that's his his mate. It sounds like it's belittling it, but you know it's a massive thing when you're known <laughs> as the western director.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: because they were great storytellers I mean that was that's what made them great directors that's that's
1: exactly it that's ultimately what that is and uh, there were many other great directors don't get us wrong but uh, something about Ford's easy way of making the story come alive on the screen that's just talent that's just just, just the the way that goes so guys
0: what is the western Uh, it's I've described it as a, you know, America's historical film, historical epic. But there are certain pieces that have to be there for it to be a western. And and like we we talked about a little in show prep, sometimes those things even get translated. Those same elements get translated into settings that aren't the American West, and they feel like a western. Um, it, you know, The Walking Dead feels like a western even though it's a zombie show.
1: Well, um, Outland with Sean Connery was a remake of High Noon on a Moon of Io. <laughs> and I, it's a damn I, good love,
0: movie. I know that's a movie that hardly anybody
1: knows, and I love Outland. I, well, I well, love let me, give, me, my, let me Outland. give you my favorite quote from it, because it's probably yours, too. You better do what I say, or I'm going to have to kick your nasty ass all up and down this hallway. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that's one of those movies you go, what? i kick your nasty what?
0: ass all over this room. That's exactly right. It was great. Fantastic. Uh, Frances Sternhagen, uh, she's awesome. Absolutely. So a Western,
2: it's got some, you know, the technical definition, obviously, is fairly precise. It's generally considered the latter half of the 19th century, basically the story, post yeah.
0: the Civil War. A story set on the American frontier post the Civil War.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, basically up through the late 1800s. Yeah, uh, you know, once you get in 1900, the Western really doesn't. It doesn't seem right to call that a Western. You know, you I get a few,
1: actually, modern. Big Jake uh, takes place in 1909, but it's designed to show that the West is waning and the new world right. is here. So it's the yeah, kind so of the, the car is, is here. here.
2: Yeah. Once Arizona becomes a, a state, then, you know, the, the the Western age is definitely over. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it's not just the setting um, that you know, makes it qualify. I mean, we've talked about this in the John Wayne, at least to me. Talked about this with the John Wayne episode, and we talked about it in the show prep. And to me, what makes the western a western uh, is it's that hero's journey uh, bit, where you've got somebody who is up against uh, overwhelming odds, and mm-hmm. they prevail. Uh, I don't want to belittle this when I say this, but the the accidents, which is a good Catholic term, uh, meaning the uh, particular features of the setting, are uh, are very transferable. You know, the six six shooter for a blaster in Star Wars, for instance, Mm -hmm. Uh, a horse for a uh, uh, an X-wing, using Star Wars again, Um, or. Uh, a lightsaber for a samurai sword, uh, you know, <laughs> sure, for a 6 You know, these are common elements uh, as far as they're interchangeable uh, for the type of story being told because, you know, we talked about the Japanese uh, movies <clears throat> and how those samurai movies are very much the same kind of thing, but that's the thing. Martin, the way you framed what a Western is, is about being the American historical It is, uh, although it's only, uh, you know, 25%, actually now less than 25% of what American history is. um, If you look at every culture uh, that is uh, defined by uh, ethnicity and or a uh, a national identity, they're going to have something similar. And I think I talked about this uh, in our earlier show, prep when we were talking about what we were going to do coming up. And that is that, you know, every ethnicity or nationality is going to have something similar whether it's the samurai movies or the the, the you know the uh, swords and and, ar- and armor for the Brits uh, you know doing that kind of historical it's a hearkening back to a time which uh, where we see bigger heroes than we see now
1: mm-hmm.
2: a time well, that's when where we'll put
1: you're exactly right we
2: see um, People acting out uh, what we see as the ideal moral stances.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a like It's like War and Peace yeah. for, the, for Russia. I mean, that's when they shown the best when they defeated Napoleon. That's their national story, uh, and right. it's it's the same type of thing. There's a, it's uniquely cultural, and maybe that's what you're kind of going after here, Martin. Is a Western is uniquely American because it is set uniquely American. We can steal or borrow or move. But ultimately, that's the story. The setting
0: mm-hmm.
1: is what makes it the western. Is that fair? I think, d- a lot, I think a lot, a lot there are a lot of to a um, degree. Yeah, it's, because you know, you know, it's rugged
0: individualism. It's taming the frontier. It's yeah. retaining your humanity uh, in injustice. front of huge odds. Fighting for yeah. standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Um, There's elements of of those things in in all the best Westerns.
1: So you're thinking it's also thematic. It's not just setting, but it's also thematic. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. It may not be structurally, because the hero's journey is a structure that we use a lot, but that's transferable, but these other themes don't usually get transferred with it. Is that fair? No, no, I think they do. I'm I'm just trying to figure out... I think in a modern
2: setting, you'll always see... Uh, the hero standing up for the little guy, the, the person who can't stand up for themselves. Sure. That's why I'm saying that the the Western is uh, the hero's journey expressed as something uniquely American, which yeah. is in the, in the yeah. West. Whereas the hero's journey is expressed as something uniquely Japanese in the samurai stories. Mm-hmm. It's expressed as something uniquely Italian when you look at you know all of the the the, the Roman movies. You know uh, Julius Caesar and all that, sword uh, and or uh, yeah, the yeah, sword and
0: sandal epics. Sword yeah. and
2: sandal epics. Uh, it's you know, it's the hero's journey. Is those are those movies set those those British historicals? Whether it be um, you know Thomas Beckett or uh, you know Man for All Seasons, even those are granted not action oriented, but still hero's journey.
1: Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really doesn't matter necessarily. That that works. Uh, Excalibur.
2: Excalibur. Oh
1: yeah, one of our favorite favorite movies. We don't.
2: That is a British about. western by far. I mean, that is
1: the yeah. <laughs> fantastic movie. John no. Boorman did an you? amazing job. Uh, the first movie that we ever got when I got my VCR in college, the first one was Excalibur. That's the one that we yeah. watched in my dorm room when I first got my that VCR that year. Uh, amazing movie. So guys, so, let me throw VCR
2: back
1: is like a really
2: big only it's rectangles <laughs> so sort of, blu ray I'm even dating myself
1: that's exactly yeah. right yeah no, 4k 4k at least yeah, you can get a movie at home because before that it's whatever they were showing on TV if you got to see it at all yeah yep come a long way baby
2: so so a Western and on the one hand it's no different than any other historical except that it's set in our country. But for whatever reason, because America for so long was the center of the movie-making universe, I think we call other things ex-Westerns, you know, spaghetti Westerns or whatever, because we were so good at making them that, um, you know, when we call something like Firefly a Western set in space, well, yeah, but it is... Um, partially because they take, uh, you know, some of the visual elements look Western-ish, you mm-hmm. know. <clears throat> but that's also part of the, you know, they're drawing on this great history of these Western movies and TV shows. Um, but, <clears throat> pardon, um, you know, I think because we did it so well and we did it first in the movies, that's why the Western is seen as, you uh, uh, Something that is transported elsewhere, rather than recognizing uh, that everybody has their own Western. We just don't call it a Western.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the Western well too. Let's not forget the commercial aspect yeah. of this, because yeah. we yeah. liked it uh, and we exported it. It, it. Some of it is time, and some of it is location. I was thinking about this because we talked about this in the show prep. Quigley Down Under" is an amazingly great Western movie. It takes place in Australia. But, uh, yeah. So and in, there's in, only
2: two Americans in the entire movie. Right. So it's, it's and yet it's, it's still a western. And it's very good.
0: But yeah, taming the frontier. You know, part of part of the western too is, I mean, nothing happens in a vacuum. You know, it, it, when movies begin, uh, and and California becomes kind of the center of the world for for making movies, it's still very much in touch with its western past. You know, very much in in in. In tune with its history as the frontier, and and people still remember. Yeah, uh, and so people still remember the frontier. This stuff is fresh, so it's an easy way to make these stories.
1: Wyatt Earp, the the real Wyatt Earp, dies in Los Angeles in 1929. He is a consultant for John Ford in many movies during the 20s, Mm -hmm. Uh, and John Wayne met him. That's exactly right, and he befriends <laughs> Tom Mix in particular, and there's a yeah. great great movie, it's, it's rather obscure actually from the late 80s, with uh, Bruce Willis and James Garner called Sunset, which tells that story. Bruce Willis is Tom Mix in the 20s, and James Garner is the old Wyatt Earp, and it carries <laughs> through his death, and Tom Mix, and it says this at the end of the movie Tombstone, Tom Wicks, Mix weeps. At Wyatt Earp's funeral, funeral. Yeah. because he recognizes a part of what makes him able to do what he does has just left forever, because yeah. it's yeah. it, it's 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 now cool. now he now he belongs to the ages as they would say about Lincoln. Yeah,
0: so guys, I'm gonna kick back a little bit more. My uh, I'm gonna call it rot gut uh, since we're doing the westerns. I'm not hey, <laughs> my good rot gut bourbon here, uh, and lay something out for you though that I think is interesting. But uh, I'll ask you guys, uh, what kind of rock gut have you got? I'm I'm doing larceny rock gut. What about you all?
2: Well, I have what I would consider true rock gut bourbon because the devil's cut, it it it's, it's not quite the smooth bourbon we are used to, not the fine, high higher end bourbon, but it's still a good diversion. Uh, yeah, we you gotta have
0: a you gotta have a set to take on devil's cut, don't you?
2: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> What about you, now, Francis? So I, so I went up to the wife and got him back so I could drink it.
1: <laughs> I actually found I had just a little bit of that 1792 left. I thought it was all gone. Uh, but I found I had about one glass left. So I said, you know, that can't stand. So I have to you go and, and take care of that and uh, and flush that through. It's all It's always good, always good.
0: So here's something I find interesting, though, about Westerns. Again, as, a, as this, probably the longest running type of film that's out there.
2: 1903 to today.
0: Yeah, they're not monolithic. They're not all the same. And a couple of films that we've talked about here exemplify that. I'm going to kind of give a, a narrative here to weave all of these together. And maybe it's interesting only to me, but I'll see what you guys think. So, 1951, high noon, Gary Cooper, he plays the sheriff of a small town, he's about to get married, his fiance is Quaker, and she wants him to hang up his gun. So they're getting ready to leave to get married, and outlaws are coming to town. He's not going to be able to hang up his gun until he deals with this crisis. Uh, he keeps going to others for help because he's outnumbered and outgunned, and no one will help him. Uh, eventually, he does overcome. His, his Quaker wife helps him out. She ends up shooting one of the bad guys. Uh, then they get on the train together and ride off into the sunset. Uh, the film's widely seen as an allegory for McCarthyism and, and blacklisting and things like that. Um But it is it, it's still at the same time a, a favorite film. Dwight Eisenhower loved it. Uh, Richard Nixon loved it. you know, um, but it's this this you know, the person alone against the odds with no one to help.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we go from that though, to 1959 and Rio Bravo. Howard Hawks and John Wayne. They hated High Noon. They thought High Noon was very un-American. They thought that was crazy. Of course people would help the sheriff when when bad people are coming to town. And that's basically the story of Rio Bravo. Um, the sheriff has helped. The, the townspeople support him wholeheartedly. Uh, they try to help him as much as they can. He he has to basically tell people stop helping. You're in too much danger. Um, but he has a kind of a motley set of outlaws. One's a drunk, Dean Martin. Um, you know, one's a, uh, a, a injured. I guess probably an injured war veteran in, in uh, Stumpy, um, played by uh, Walter Houston, I think it is. Mm-hmm. did I get that right uh, Walter Brennan I'm sorry played by Walter Brennan and so it all comes out good in the end um, they overcome the bad guys again it's uh, somebody that owns most of the surrounding area but his brothers an ne'er too well and the brothers in jail and they've got to k- try to keep him in jail till the federal marshal comes around Um But he has help. Then the next movie is 1973's High Plains Drifter. Francis had mentioned this one. It's a big Clint Eastwood movie. Mm -hmm. And in that film, the drifter comes to town. There are three gunmen on the way who want to make the town pay. And not only is the town reluctant to help, they're actually guilty. They're involved in the big conspiracy. Uh, they hired the gunman to kill the marshal <laughs> that was there because he found out the mine that the town depends on is on government land. And the drifter comes in and uh, cleans up the town and deals with the three outlaws and then disappears. Um, it's it's a revisionist western. But I, I think that that progress, those those things, as snapshots in time. That they they reflect a particular moment in in their current American history. In reaching back to the past, is that just me, or or is there something to that?
2: No, I think there's something to that. Absolutely, I think just about any era of movie making. Is going to do that. Uh, I think in our, one of our very first uh, pop culture episodes, uh, when we were talking about um, uh, the, the Marvel superheroes and what have you. Uh, I, I want to say that uh, we we talked about how the comics reflected, as well as formed, uh, although you know not nearly as much as movies would, uh, the the cultural and the the ideas uh, of the time. So the dark yeah. Days. Yeah, the zeitgeist, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, fine, if you want to use the shorthand for it, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's, um, let's see how many
0: German funny words we could work into this
2: episode. Is Carpag a German funny word? <laughs> yeah. uh, I think so. So, you know, yeah, I think those movies are definitely going to do that. When you look at uh, movies in any particular time frame, whether you look at it by decade or by... Whatever particular war was going on, I think you're going to see similar themes or you're going to see uh, maybe even certain themes, themes in opposition to one another. But they're in opposition because they're diametrically opposed. So it's, you're still kind of the same theme. Uh, part of that's good storytelling. Part of that's also forming the culture, whether it's mm-hmm. intentional or not, because it can reinforce certain ideas.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, life because imitating
0: art or art imitating life. Yes,
1: and there's a reason. Well, you know, you said it very well. You know, a high noon was meant to be this allegory against what was going on at the times. High Plains Drifter is exactly the same thing. It is definitely a nihilistic Western. It is one that has lost faith in humanity, uh, That which is what's going on when it's made, because, you know, we're in the middle of it. You know, Vietnam is almost over with. And the body bags, uh, those images are still on television at this time. And Uh uh, this is something showing that humanity is not worth saving in many ways. That's one of the meta themes here, because the character uh, in High Plains Drifter is sort of kind of intended to be the avenging ghost of the murdered sheriff. That's kind of the way it's supposed to be. In fact, that's how the movie ends, because he says, "You never told me your name," and he says, "You know my name." And as he leaves, they see the formerly unmarked, now marked grave of the murdered sheriff. So that kind of shows, in many respects, divine intervention uh, into the sins of humanity, which was very much in people's subconscious at the time. Height of Watergate. Well, exactly. You know, we yeah. we, need, yeah. we need divine intervention to clean this mess up because we're not doing a good job of doing it ourselves. There's no heroes yeah. amongst us anymore. Uh, right. Only yeah. villains. So to, to, to go with that, to
2: use a good example, I think Silverado is a classic 80s movie in that sense because it is all about uh, what's possible and overcoming great odds. It is very much a uh, uh, Reagan-era type of outlook.
1: It's a buddy movie yeah. too. A lot a lot of a, buddy come, a lot of people yeah. coming together yeah. uh, for, for the right cause and the right reasons to make things happen. So yeah, yeah it, it is. Uh, it's, it's kind you're, of you're absolutely right. It's a,
0: a very Reagan era movie in Silverado. Very optimistic, very hopeful at the end. Things are gonna come out right. We're gonna go to California. The future's right. the future's very open. Everything's gonna be good. The
1: future's so bright we're wearing opposed. shades. Dare I say that? Sorry. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> the future's so bright we're wearing shades. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry, but you know that's in the 80s. Opposed. You don't get the reference, but uh.
2: yeah, it's diametrically opposed though to a lot of the attitudes that were in movies prior to this. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. You
2: know, because yeah. the 70s was a dark time in movies.
1: hmm
2: you know, It was. They even made a horror film out of a science fiction movie, Aliens or Aliens, mm-hmm. Singular. You know, so I mean, it was—it was just very dark in general. That's one of the reasons why Star Wars stood out.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. because it was, against, it was against the norm at the times. Uh, and Matrix changed it. Fiction. Yes, yeah. it changed. But it was it changed a lot. Yes, very much so. Uh, and that's George Lucas being the pioneer that that he was and is. Uh, but yeah. you're exactly right. Look at how versatile this Western genre is it can give all these different themes seamlessly, and yet every single one of these is unambiguously a Western. That's one of the things that's so fascinating by it, and that's one of the things that's so great about it. You can use this one here just about anywhere for anything you want. It's like the universal tool. It's the Swiss Army knife (laughs) of genres. Because if you want to tell a story, put the Western setting into it. A, everybody gets that, so you don't have a whole lot of ramping up or backstory to do, because you kind of understand the tropes. And you can tell whatever story you want to tell. And that's fascinating. I think any
2: genre should be able to do that. I think what makes the Westerns so good, why we go there first, is because it's in our shared history uh, as Americans. You know, you could tell any kind of story in any time frame. Now, the only one you can't really tell is the man versus technology. uh, And set that, you know... 100,000 years ago. At least, depending on the technology, you want to make it man versus, you know? So, yeah. Okay. Um, it's very difficult to tell a man versus the alien monster, although I guess you could make it a dinosaur, and that's certainly been done. Uh, what was the movie Raquel Welch was in in the 60s? Uh, One Million B.C. One Million B.C., yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the Western, I, I, I guess... I don't want to. Say, I don't want to say that the Western is not unique or special because it is. But I think what makes it unique and special is because it's to us. I would guess that the samurai movies, which we probably are the closest to the Western uh, genre in terms of of uh, uh, how how it's done, uh, the outlook, the type of characters, and so on. Um, I, I would guess that samurai movies are, ha, hold the same kind of special place in, in the hearts of the Japanese as the Western does for Americans. Absolutely. Um, and yet they tell the same I, stories. So right, often. they tell the same stories. Sometimes, literally. That's exactly <laughs>
0: right. Yes, that's yeah, we talked about that.
2: But, you know, we tell the same kind of stories in romances. We tell the same kind of stories in comedies. We tell the same kind of stories in uh, sci-fis, in thrillers, in spy movies. The difference is, I think, of what we emphasize in each one of those, uh, or the the, the the particulars of that that setting. Um, I think what makes the Western so uh, well loved is that the the hero relies on almost nothing except himself, himself and his trusty six shooter or his rifle, but essentially it's on himself. That speaks to us with the American exceptionalism, the rugged individualism, uh, that is so much a part of uh, American identity, or at least it was so much a part of American identity. Uh, I don't know that, that you could make that argument anymore for certain segments of the population, but that is what it is. Um, and so that's, you know, samurai movie the same thing. You know, the samurai relies on himself and his sword. Um, And I think that's what makes the Western so great is that it is truly about that particular hero, whether he's a gunfighter or uh, the sheriff or whatever. You know, it's, you know, sometimes maybe he's a rancher. Uh, It's really about the person, not so much the space battles and that kind of thing. You know, yeah, we want to see a good shootout in a Western, but... You know the that's the uh, that that doesn't have to happen almost, but it doesn't have to. Uh, you know, it, it just kind of depends on the on the movie, and it certainly doesn't have to be tons of explosions uh, for it to be a successful western like it like you know most movies today.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the western used to be pretty much the biggest genre going,
1: mm-hmm. um, right. It was versatile. You know. but ha- that had something to yeah. do. It was recognizable. That's for certain, too. Uh, and But it was a little bit of a slower thing, too, because it's a non-technological, more or less, art form. Uh, it doesn't speak to that. Robert, you, you nailed that very well. It's, it's not about that uh, at all. And that's one of the reasons I think it left behind. The, you know, the movie Toy Story you know, does a really great job in explaining just what happened. You know, Woody, the Western toy, gets discarded as soon as Sputnik hits the air. Uh, yep. All of a sudden, it's uh, everything changed on that. And it took uh, television and movies a little while to catch up. But within 15 years, it's over. That's, that's kind of being generous. It's more like 10.
2: Well, yeah, I would say that, you know, the 60s, I would guess, because I don't have the numbers, but I would guess that if you look at a year-by-year count, from yep. the late 50s on to the 70s, there are fewer Westerns made every single
1: year. Well, I can tell you the, the, the height was 1959. They had 26 Westerns on TV. Wow. And granted, <laughs> only three networks. But one of the things that changed that I, uh, is those were half-hour Westerns. Most of them were half-hour black and white's. When uh, 60 came along, they started making hour long shows. They changed their formatting, and these were just too expensive. So, uh, for, for 60 minutes, there's just more to that. So, they started dropping away soon after that. Now, the big ones stuck around Gunsmoke, Bonanza. But it wasn't very long before, by the time, uh, especially by the time of 64 and 65, then all of a sudden James Bond is around. So you have a retool of that. The Man from U.N.C.L.E. comes out. The Wild Wild (laughs) West, which is an attempt to marry those two genres. And then science fiction finally ramps itself up a little bit. Uh, Star Trek is in 66, but uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea is 64. Uh, Lost in Space is 64. Uh, All these things... Yeah, 65. And uh, all of a sudden... This new modern technology in space travel is displacing all this. Uh, even though the stories are similar, to the same for whatever reason, the love affair with westerns began to wane very quickly. And that's no pun intended on John Wayne, but uh, it wasn't. But when John Wayne does pass away, only in 19, his last movie, seventy-seven, uh, an era ends. I mean, Clint was last. Western, with two exceptions, mind you, is really the la- is the Outlaw Josie Wales in 1976. Uh, he he only he only dabbles twice again, and those are much uh, later and more random. He does Pale Rider in, in I think 84, and he does Unforgiven, his final western in 90, maybe 91. 91,
0: um,
1: yeah, and that's it. You know the old westerns are gone. That's when they had to be reinvented. And that's when you get movies like Silverado, Tombstone, and let's not forget Dances with Wolves, which was a very, very, very different western. It changed the themes were very, very different in many ways. It's
2: almost a non-western
1: western, correct? Yeah, uh, it, it, that was deliberate on Kevin Costner's part. It's one to show this. Let's look at it from the other direction, and right. uh, it, it, it was you know had one best picture. It's an excellent movie. It really is. Well,
2: you know, uh, you don't make westerns anymore where
1: Indians are. The bad guys. Oh, absolutely not. No. That's uh, not culturally
2: appropriate anymore. And
1: Dances Wolf kind of started that. I mean, it wasn't the right. only one, but uh, it kind of well, realized... Well, even in oh, Colorado
2: in 85, you know, that w- they were not really... You know, that was not the, the point.
1: Cobb yeah. was the bad guy. Right, and Exactly. You see the same thing in Pale Rider and Unforgiven and Tombstone and Wyatt Earp, which uh, Kevin Costner also did. Open Range, he did. Costner was probably one of the last guys that really liked doing westerns. Uh, And uh, after that, not so much. We uh, we were talking in the show prep, you might get one a year, uh, but they're usually one-offs. And it's not to say that there haven't been some good ones out there. There's also been some steaming... Hung semen piles of crapola on this too. You had one that you mentioned, uh, Martin. Which was the one that you said you wouldn't you wouldn't see under any circumstances? That was a remake of something. I think it's a
0: remake of the Magnificent Seven that was out that's recently. That's the one that you talked
1: about. That's right. What, what, I mean, what? that's just
0: one you don't mess with. The Magnificent Seven. Yul Brenner, Charles Bronson, Steve McQueen. Uh, Steve McQueen. Robert Vaughn. Uh, Eli Wallace, John Robert yeah. Vaughn. But what
1: was the movie? The remake. What was it called? Uh, Magnificent Seven. The Magnificent Seven. Oh, they actually. Okay.
0: Yeah. 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 Shows
1: you you didn't even notice it. It slipped past so fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Chris
1: Pratt well, I and, and then, yeah, I, I had forgotten that they'd even done that. Yeah. Yeah. The only so, really new westerns that you will find are some really weird changed ones. Uh, Django Unchained, uh, with Tarantino. Uh, a very uh, the Hateful Eight with Tarantino. Those are. Those aren't really. They're using the Western genre, but it subverts a lot of that. It's meant to kind of undo uh, some of that, that you know, um, worship Tarantino's that
0: yeah Tarantino's hyper violent style, um, right? Which, which I mean, that's, that's, it I like the genre Tarantino because, movies, but yeah,
1: yeah. I uh, uh, believe it or not, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio did the movie The Revenant, which actually won. Uh, I don't remember the the awards that it won, but it was actually fairly significant. Uh, it's a Western. It really is. It doesn't come across that way because it doesn't have the familiar tropes and all that, but the setting and the time, uh, it's all that. So they're still out there from time to time, as you say, mm-hmm. but they're not what they once were. In fact, the classic Western, it's gone forever. You, you'll never see that. Yeah, but uh, well, the classic Western
2: up. is really pretty tame by today's standards. Oh, very you much so, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We I'm left not...
1: it behind. We, we, we couldn't, uh, it's boring for us now. Uh, yeah, it, you no, know, there's knowledge for some of us, but that's yeah. it. Um, and partially, that's
2: you know, I, I kid about the not enough explosion, but that I mean, that's part of it. I think I talked about this in our show prep. There, it, you know, everything needs to be larger than life now. It's hard to do larger than life in a western. We made the joke about it, you know, cowboys and aliens. Uh,
1: you know, the, yeah, that's uh, one. And, uh, it was it was reviled. I liked it. I'll watch anything David Crane does. It was fun. It was, it was exactly that right. It was so, stupid, but it was fun. That's yeah. correct, and sometimes you can get away with all that. You know, Basically, right. Michael Bay has done us no favors, but because he's taken our short attention span and given us all these flashy lights, and that's all we can go with anymore. And it's a shame we've lost some really good storytelling opportunities within some fertile ground. Perhaps it was well, overplowed at one time. Doesn't mean it can't come back. Yeah, and the
2: thing is that the- yeah, you know, if we go back to what made it, what truly makes a Western great, being the hero's journey, we've got great examples of that in, in lots of things. You know, I, I, I absolutely, you guys know, I'm a huge Marvel guy, uh, both comics and movies, obviously. Uh, you know, I think that that the hero's journey is
1: well done throughout all 22 Marvel movies that have been released to date. <laughs> There's both you the macro yeah. macro versions and the micro, uh, the micro versions and the macro, because Tony Stark's story. Overall, the movie is the hero's journey. That's exactly yeah. it. As, as is Steve Rogers as well. Um, yes. uh, you, you might make some argument that there are others in there too, and each movie kind of oh, has yeah. some there, versions there of there it. There certainly are, but those are the, the big two. Those are the big two. Uh, That's right.
2: And having everything needing to be larger than life, um, it's really difficult to use a, a period setting to do that. You know, mm-hmm. c- certainly outside of certain things. You know, you can't... I'm just having a hard time thinking of how you would uh, to, uh, to get outside of independence uh, a Western done that uh, is a serious film um, that would... I mean, obviously it can be done, but, I mean, it's just... Because it's it's so uniquely different compared to what's, what else is being made, it's sort one of the reasons why you don't see them that often anymore. Well, yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's... It's like... If you look at a lot of the movies made in the 30s, um, the comedies are kind of farces. Uh, there's a lot of uh, gangster movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of those are st- are pretty tame by today's standards, but there's some that are just simple human interest kind of movies that are seen as kind of boring um, mm-hmm. that would almost certainly never be made by a major studio anymore mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of action.
1: Yeah, you can't make it epic. With uh, as with a general rule in this genre, because you bump up against history too much, you cannot have the world about to end in a western. Not really. I mean, uh, cowboys and aliens—you could, be you might make that—that uh, well, that was a stretch of a little bit of one. But you're right; it's they're, they're well, mostly small the West human West was, Yeah, which again is a yeah
2: you know, with Will Smith and um, um, Kevin Kline, the Wild Wild West. Yeah, sorry, uh, that's what I meant. Yes. Um, I think that, that because the stakes tend to be more personal, if they're going to do that kind of story, they're just not going to use a Western setting for it. Because it's not as relatable for modern
1: audiences. Totally agree. That and was one true. that that failed because you know you had great actors and actresses in that movie, and you t- and you took it. What the was uh, the Wild Wild West? Oh, and, and you took what, and you took a proven concept that worked on television. Uh, Robert Conrad. I uh, did a fantastic job uh, with, uh, with Ross Martin in it, but it didn't translate. You, you just, it was not... Well, it was, it was filmed as a comedy. Yes, too yeah, can West, be.
2: Yeah, Wild Wild West is not a comedy from you know, the television series. Now, you can do comedy. Um, uh, Pale Face, Bob Hope. Hmm.
1: Uh, well, know, Blazing Saddles. <laughs> Blazing
2: Saddles,
0: yes. Well, Blazing Saddles. Uh,
2: Silverado has plenty of comedic moments. sure.
1: Um, you know, well so does Tombstone for all of its seriousness well yeah it's, it's uh, got its, but, its few moments uh, Val Kilmer you know, he brings out quite a few uh, zingers out there at different times why can't I you know he not where <laughs> <laughs> how <rude>. lewd <laughs> yeah, sure. um,
2: but you know it, it, I, I think that, that it's just not the preferred vehicle for the aspects that, that it could be good at Uh, otherwise. Mm -hmm. And and that's probably the, that's more of just the taste of the the populace. But you know, these things come and go. It's like if you look at television, uh, you will see certain kinds of shows be popular all at once. Hospital shows, Mm -hmm. cop shows, uniformed cop shows, detective cop shows, um, spy shows, uh, procedural shows like uh, uh, NCIS and CSI. Um, you know, those are all kinds of, kinds of things that are all they tend to get popular at the same time. Some of them have a really long life. Uh, NCIS is in its seventeenth season for God's sake, <laughs> um, which I never would have expected. And so I, I you know, it's just what the who knows if, if the Western rubber make that kind of return? Because again, it does take more money to do a western because of the sets and the costumes and you need horses and you need exteriors far more than you do in a lot of other shows Um, and you know certain things you can do with CGI but not everything if you're going to do a heavy CGI show it's got to be damn big
1: uh, to be able to be done yeah you don't you don't get very many Game of Thrones uh, that that you can that you can well, make. and look
2: how many episodes of Game of Thrones you get in a season got
1: in a season, you know? Yeah, because Not it like was so bloody, bloody expensive. Yeah, that's why the last exactly. two seasons were curtailed because it was so expensive to make what they made. They couldn't lengthen the story, which was one of the criticism on it. It was far too compressed. Well,
2: that, and they were kind of hoping that George R.R. Martin would actually finish the damn books before they got to oh, the end of the yeah. movie. Oh yeah, well <laughs> you know.
1: That's kind of like those guardrails on the side of the bridge. That's a comforting thought, but you don't ever expect to have to use them. <laughs> Cause That's right. He's, right.
0: So I he's been uh, locked I in his house now
1: since March. He ought to have made some progress on that last book. He said he was, but well, it's not the last. It's second to the last, Winter, <laughs> Winter. He's still got another one after this, assuming he doesn't lengthen it anyway. Uh, yeah. Hope springs eternal, but uh, yeah. uh, it, it, uh, I don't see it happening. Yeah. Every, every, every year they yeah. talk about will he but do not it, not or, not will not he not won't. Yet. Will he not? It's, you know, wins, yeah, wins, he's wins.
2: actually, I think, got a longer hiatus between his last, this one, whatever it will be published in his last book, than he did, I think it was the, between the third and fourth or the fourth
1: and the fifth. Fourth, it's fourth and fifth is the big one. Fourth uh, between, and fifth. A, a Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons. Yeah, and he a wrote lot himself of people, into a corner and didn't know what to do. That's um, correct. And uh, So, uh,
2: listeners, for those of you who, who are aspiring writers, uh, this is what happens when you're a pantser and not a plotter. Amen to that. Absolutely.
1: It, uh, that you're just going to kind of nothing wing wrong it. with
2: a little pantsing now and then, riding by the seat of your pants. But I personally, I prefer a mix. I'd like to know where I'm going, and then you know a little bit of uh, fly, uh, riding by the seat of my pants to get to get there.
1: But, well, exactly. Uh, that's well, that's one of the complaints. Not to go down a rabbit hole, but the Battlestar Galactica TV series, the recent one uh, that Ron Moore did so well. Problem is, they just kind of went wild with whatever they wanted to do. And they said, okay, let's wrap this up. Oh, we've got these 50,000 dangling plot lines that are conflicting with each other. What are we going to do? What do you mean you made a Cylon pregnant? Oh, you are a Cylon. Oh, what are we going to do now? Oh, well, the baby's got to die because we're going to change the story. There can only be one Cylon hybrid and on and on and on and on. Oh, I got one better for you. Lost is the best example of that. Oh, absolutely it is. That's correct. Okay, (laughs) let's wrap this up, gentlemen. Now what we do... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's make it all a dream you've been dead the whole time really? Yes. yeah uh, talk about a cheap, uh, cheat that one uh, definitely the best
2: thing I ever saw one of the best things I ever saw on the internet was a YouTube video and it was the the real ending to Lost and you remember Lost opened up with uh, what the, the main character Jack uh, waking up in the jungle and this dog running by I think the dog's yeah. name was Vincent and the end of the show should have ended with uh, whatever the last scene was and lost, and then you cut to the dog Vincent uh, sleeping on the floor. You know have dogs shake when they're dreaming. Yeah. You know, basically, it was the dog's
1: dream. The entire show was the dog's dream. <laughs> it was the dog's dream. <laughs> well, you know, you think they would have learned with Bobby Ewing and uh, that whole season of Dallas that they met, where they killed him—that oh it was all gosh. a dream. That's what started all this. Nobody ever dared to do that before, but because Patrick Duffy decided, well, maybe I would like the more money you're going to pay me, you've got to, write, you've got to get that corner that you've written yourself in there out of there, so you just write it all off as a dream. And it's been uh, sabotaging stories ever since, because somebody actually dared to do it. I don't know how that relates to, to Westerns, but... <laughs> well, we ha- boys, we've been really good. We haven't gone down rabbit holes much lately. We we've actually, we actually right, we've well,
2: we did the last episode with John Wayne. It was kind of related, but we kind of went down some rabbit holes. So. Yeah, you know, maybe well, that's I, my
0: fault. I, I'm the captain. I shouldn't have let you go down the rabbit hole, but I, but I, I liked hearing fine. a story
2: about
1: Lost. Yeah, I liked well, hearing that story. You know, there was fun. a
2: good progression from, from, yeah. from the Westerns to the rabbit holes we got to. So, you know. Yeah. So, guys, that's,
0: yeah, the Western, the uniquely American, and when it's at its best, it's about... You know, defending your town from the bully, yeah, uh, and seeking and justice, yes, seeking justice, and and those are some great, great films, and and you know, again, they they do tend to be a reflection of their time, and and Robert, I would love how you capped my list of three with one more, in Silverado, as as a, you know, a return to that, yeah, sure, of course, the town's on your side. Uh, let's get rid of the bully in Cobb. So that's that's terrific stuff. But I think we're about to wrap up here, take my last swig of my right gut.
1: Francis, what's on tap for next time? We are back to history and you know what that means. It's going to be July. This is kind of the crescendo for the moment. Now it's not the it's not the final act, but it's one of the big dog daddies of our civil war discussion. This is the we haven't done a what if in a while. Uh, and we are at some of our very best when we do those. We're going to do our Gettysburg episode, which is you know the high watermark of the Confederacy. But we're going to do it slightly different. We're going to do similar to what we did with Robert Kennedy. We're going to postulate, what if Stonewall Jackson is present at Gettysburg? And we make a few assumptions with this. You have to to do a good what if. But we're going to explore this. And what if he's there on the first day? What if he's there on the second? What if he's there on the third? And as it pretty much as it would have rolled out, then what happens? It's it going to be a happen. fascinating, fascinating discovery. We're gonna, you're going to love it.
0: Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media
2: accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter. At Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters
1: Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.